0: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. How are you today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast?
3: I'm very, very, very happy today, but can you please tell me you love me?
0: That's a strange way.
3: Okay. That was going to be my line. That's a strange way to tell me you love me. Okay. I was going to tell you once you told me you love me. Oh, oh, okay.
0: I'm sorry. Whatever. We are not good at improv. Well, Holly, you are the woman that I always dream of. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. I knew it from the start. Oh, there you go.
3: So our guest today.
0: Yes. Please tell us.
3: Our guest today is Jock Bartley from Firefall. Really? <laughs> it is. It is. Firefall has a new album of cover songs called Friends and Family. And I really love the concept of this.
0: Are these in his network? This is the at and network of friends and family. Is that how that works? <laughs> That is exactly how this works. Yeah, he could phone a lot of friends as we've learned that he has been connected with all these artists that are on this new album, which is called Holly. I can't remember what the title is. Holly, what's the name of this album?
3: It's called Friends and Family.
0: Yes, that's it. Just friends and family. And
3: some of the songs that they've covered that they put their own spin on that they've been somewhat true to. I think they made some great choices.
0: Yeah, usually I oh, this band is doing covers only, like, okay, fine. However, he has arranged these songs in such an interesting way that even though you know it, it's kind of like hearing a new song, and I love that.
3: In case we weren't clear about Friends and Family, these are tributes to the bands that they toured with, bands that they have played with, some of the members of Firefall have played with some of the bands. These covers are not just songs they know and love, these are songs that they have a direct connection to somehow.
0: Yes, and Jock will share how a lot of these artists are connected to Firefall and how he's connected to all these amazing artists. But before we get into that talk, Holly, what shall we talk about on social media?
3: How about we talk a lot about Firefall and Jock Bartley and some of these other artists whose songs they have covered? You will find outtakes from this interview with Jock on our social media at WDDIM Podcast and on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make Podcast?
0: I'm sure you'll see some of this artwork that Jock does.
3: Yeah, he's an artist and he showed us some of his work.
0: It's really cool. That it is. All right, let's get into it. This is Jock Bartley of Firefall on the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
1: Oh, boy. Oh, Oh boy, indeed. All right. Can you hear me and see me? We could do both. I'm coming to Los Angeles. The Firefall trio, three of us, have a private party in L.A. on the beach.
0: Now I have to contact Wendy to get invited to this private party. I mean, what the heck? I can't believe Wendy I, let you us. You know out. what?
1: I asked John Basaha, our new singer from LA, and he now lives in Nashville. Ask if he could bring a few people. And Lynn said, "No, it's a private party. <laughs> Wendy is coming, but I don't know if he can come. That's great, but you know, it's like this high-dollar private party. The Firefall Trio. It's like, okay, hey." Uh,
0: All right. Is it uh, charity or is it just uh, the charity is Jock
1: Barton? I don't think so. (laughs) High Dollar the guy who hired us. Oh, okay. And and I guess he had Orleans, the trio of Orleans for his party last year. He kind of likes those classic rock bands that are cut down.
0: Do you embrace the term yacht rock? Because that is kind of what's been bringing a lot of this music back.
1: Well, I embrace the music. The concept of yacht rock is great for that reason. And a lot of people who remember that music, but also younger people who weren't really listening to radio then, I mean, it's a great way for them to get familiar with songs from the seventies and stuff like that. I do find it interesting though, that on Facebook they'll have these ongoing arguments about that song's not yacht rock. What do you mean? It's not yacht rock. It's blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, you know, I'm not a real big genre guy. I mean, Firefall was considered to be country rock for a long time, and we're not really country rock, although we came out of that Birds, Buffalo Springfield, Poco, Graham Parsons kind of thing that was kind of country rock. But we did something different to it in Boulder, Colorado, and I remember back in the 70s, some people started trying to find out what Firefall was, and they called us Colorado Rock which really came from southern california. <laughs> yeah.
3: It's not funny it is. It's like an extension of what went on here in Laurel Canyon in the 70s.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Laurel and Topanga Canyon. Yeah. yeah. You know, there were so many bands then. It's interesting because pretty much everybody, every music lover knows about the migration to L.A. Stephen Stills, Jim McGuinn, Richie Fury from New York, Joni Mitchell and Neil Young from Canada, uh, Bernie Ledden, and a little bit later Don Felder from Florida, Grant Parsons from Florida, Glenn Fry from Detroit, Don Henley from, from uh, Texas. All of those people... Pretty much. I mean the birds invented folk rock, taking folk music and adding electric and twelve string guitars, and the birds first album was one of the best American albums ever, I think. A few years later, not only Poco but Graham Parsons and Rick Nelson and Mike Nesmith from The Monkeys, they started inventing country rock. Everybody knows about the migration to LA, but after Stills and and Joe Walsh and all those people were really big stars a few years later after having invented this new music. Many, many of them moved to the mountains above Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Stephen Stills, Chris Hillman, Richie Fury, Joe Walsh, Dan Fogelberg, Carl Wilson from the Beach Boys. Everybody kind of came into the mountains of Boulder where I went to college and was from, and Caribou Ranch was there, the Caribou Studios. 30 miles south of Boulder was uh, Red Rocks. Suddenly, Boulder became this center of music, and that's where Firefall got together in, in that whole kind of thing. And when we were playing our first gigs, trying to figure out what we sounded like to get good at what we did live um, before we got a record contract on any given night at a place called the Good Earth we played at. Dan Fogelberg would come and sit in, or Steven Stills would come and sit in, or Chris Hillman, who Rick Roberts used to be with in the Flying Breeder Brothers, and we were good friends with. And the intertwining nature of that Southern California thing that then kind of migrated some to Boulder, so many bands played with each other and members would play on other people's albums. And this was a girlfriend with, oh, then they changed boyfriends. And I mean, it's just like, Unbelievable that whole great thing of the 60s and 70s music. My head
3: was spinning when I was reading about all the people that you have played with you know throughout the course of your
1: life. Firefalls really lucky. We hit it at the right time. but the thing I have to say is the main thing that determines whether you're a band or an artist to get on the radio or whatever is the song. You got to have the song. In fact, you got to have songs plural. Well, here's the kind of cool story. And talk about the intertwining nature. I'll try to make this quick. Take your so, time, man. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, good. So when Rick Roberts replaced Graham Parsons in the Flying Breeder Brothers, Brito's played in Washington, D.C. And after the show, Rick Roberts, the new lead vocalist, went to this club to hear this phenomenal female singer, Emmy Lou Harris. And Rick basically discovered Emmy Lou. And he called Chris back at the hotel and Chris said, I'm already in bed. No, I'm not gonna come down. And Chris going, you gotta come here, see her. Chris kind of, got ah. and he takes a cab down and they see Emmy Lou Harris for the first time being a folk singer in Washington, DC. And a few days later, Chris Hillman called Graham Parsons, his old buddy from the Birds and the Breeder Brothers and said, I think we might've found the gal you're looking for. And a year or so later, Graham and Amy Lou and the Fallen Angels with a guitar player who had just joined the band they wanted, Graham and everybody wanted James Burton, who had played all over the Graham's records. But Elvis said, you're not going out with anybody else. You're my guitar player. So they said, okay, oh, hey, about, how about Clarence White? Ah, and Clarence White was with the Birds then. you know. So the two top guitar players they wanted to hire weren't available. And they hired a guy kind of sight unseen in the 11th hour. And they got in the bus and drove to their first gig in Boulder, Colorado. And I got a call from the manager of the club that they were going to play at and said, Jock, you better get down here. You might have a gig. And I went, who with? And he said, Graham Parsons. And I went, who? And he said, you know, the Flying Burrito Brothers, the Birds." Oh, yeah, okay, great. I went down there, and I watched their first gig. And the guitar player that they had was mostly acoustic player, and he was real nervous and got drunk, and they knew they needed to find a guitar player. And I got asked to sit in with them the next night, and I did. And fortunately for me, the band that was opening the show was kind of a 50s rock band that I'd go sit in and just play great at on the, you know, be a rock guy, you know, do what I do. So they saw that I could play. Then I, you know, and they took a vote after the show and said, well, we need a really good rhythm guitar player. Number two, we need a good rock guitar player soloist who can play on our rock stuff. But mostly we need a really great country picker, a la James Burton, right? And all the records. Right. And they looked at it and I was a terrible country picker. I had no experience in that at all. But I was the first two. And they said, well, two out of three is better than zero out of three. And I got hired. And the next morning at 9 a.m., the bus left for Austin, Texas. And I remember the late, great steel player, Neil Flans. And I, in the back of the bus, trying to drop the needle on the turntable so I could try to learn that particular James Burton lick and stuff. The end of this little part of the story is that the second gig we played in Liberty Hall in Houston, we're playing our set, and onto the stage walk Neil Young and Linda Ronstadt. And it was the first time Emmylou Harris and Linda ever met or sang together. And after we played, Neil says, hey, I'm having a party back in my hotel suite. Come on over. And so three bands, Neil Young's band, Linda Ronstadt's band, and Graham Parsons' band with Emmylou Harris go back to Neil's palatial suite uh-huh. in Houston. Mass quantities of everything, stay up till uh, dawn just about. But the most amazing thing was Graham, as he was wont to do, grabbed the guitar of Neil's and started playing like 20 country songs by the Leuven brothers and stuff who I'd never heard of before. And but what was amazing was about five feet away from Graham, Linda and Emmy Lou sat face to face, about six inches apart, nose to nose and blended their voices together for the very first time. And it was not only magical, but we all knew it was historic. It's mm-hmm. like, wow. Yeah. You know? And so I fell into that band and the Fallen Angels, and when we got to New York City, Rick Roberts, ex-Flying Burrito Brother, was playing the next night at the same place, and he came down to see Lou Harris, who he discovered, and to see Graham, who he'd replaced in the Burrito Brothers, and see the band, and that's where I met Rick Roberts, and we said, you live in Boulder? I live in Boulder, and hey, we Man. should get together. Now, sidelight is that Rick didn't think I was a very good country picker, which I wasn't, <laughs> right. you know? But he came into a club where I was playing with my rock and roll band, you know, I had been playing rock and roll and, and uh he said, God, that's the same guy. And I started playing with him. And he was going to make his third solo record on A M Records. And he wanted me to be his guitar player. And I went, Great. So we started playing. That's when Mark Andes started jamming with us, Mark Andy's from Spirit and JoJo Gunn, who, along with all those other people, moved to Boulder, right? As soon as Mark got involved with the songs, it didn't feel like a solo record anymore. It felt like a band. And Rick said, I know a guy, Larry Burnett in Washington, D.C., who writes great songs and sings great with me. You want to hear a song? And Mark and I go, sure. This was a couple of years before cassette tapes were invented. So he put on a big old reel-to-reel, and the first song that played was Larry's song, Cinderella. And we just went, oh my God, get him out here. Larry came out in the first week of practice before we had a band name, before we had a gig, it was Rick Roberts and Larry Burnett, the two singer-songwriters, myself and Mark Andes. It was about a month before Michael Clark joined the band. We had a drummer that we were trying out. From that first week of practice, we had 20 to 25 songs could work out that Rick and Larry were presenting. Unbelievable, (laughs) unheard of. And the cool thing about that was the songs were so good. A year and a half later, when our first album came out, a lot of those songs like Mexico and Livin' Ain't Livin' and Cinderella and It Doesn't Matter were on that record. So Firefall has always been about the songs. And it's not about the guitar player or the, you know, this or that. It's about the songs. And as a lead guitar player... Uh, Having been classically in jazz trained by a really famous jazz guitar player named Johnny Smith when I was like eight and a half years old till 14 or something. I learned pretty much just being in that situation with a maestro kind of teacher that anything you play as a guitar player, whether it's just chords or licks between or a full solo, you need to enhance the song. It is the song that is number one. And unfortunately, a lot of guitar players never really got that you know, they, you know they, they want to show off and play fast and hey but firefall's always been about making the musicians with the best thing we could do to make their song sound better so i think that's firefall strength all along hey we're talking to
0: jock bartley of firefall he's telling us all these great stories and he's got more but before we hear these stories we will take a break
3: Welcome back to the What Difference does It Make podcast and our guest, Jock Bartley from Firefall.
0: Oh, okay, so you touched on Cinderella. I was just listening to it. Is the main character just a dirtbag who left this girlfriend or was it just someone, she was already pregnant? I was listening to it and I'm like, okay, this sounds like the main character is just a, a bad guy who just left this woman that's pregnant in, in the well, dirt.
1: He basically told her to leave. He didn't leave her. He told her to leave. It's a fictional song.
2: Came to me with a tear in her eye and a sigh on oh, the rather lord said hon I'm heavy with child and I said god This morning, leave today.
1: Take your love and your child away. Larry yeah. wrote that when he was 16 years old. Unbelievable. To me, it's one of the most magical tracks Firefall's ever. ever. Yeah. It just draws you in, and it's just like everything we added to that just added to the magic. But I've been asked over the last 30 years, so did he actually kick the girl out or does he stay with her? And does he meet the boy after he's grown up or, you know, and Larry left it deliberately a little vague. And I kind of thought too, you know, the first time I heard it, when I kind of studied the lyrics, I thought, God, this guy's a jerk. And I remember when I got my girlfriend pregnant, I'd married her. You know, it's like, okay, that's what you did back then, right? So I don't really have a definitive answer for you th- with that. It was just about a guy who had a new girlfriend who got pregnant and he was thinking seriously about kicking them out. Did he do it or not? I don't know. It's a little vague lyrically. All right. Well, when is the movie coming out? I need to
0: see this Cinderella. <laughs> by- <laughs> I need the answers, man.
3: Cinderella, Firefall version.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's right. So you you mentioned Boulder. We've talked with Dennis Constantine of KBCO. How important was KBCO to Firefall's discovery? Were they the first to launch the band?
1: No. 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 What? No, but they were our good friends and jumped all over that first record. In subsequent years, um, KBCO got to be the hip AAA station and kind of dropped Firefall from their playlists because I guess we weren't hip enough. Oh, early on they were way behind us and well, our first album was great. I mean, it was it was really perfect. And the second album was good, maybe not as good. Once they put out that record, suddenly we were on the road with Fleetwood Mac, the white album, and then they liked us so they kept us for the rumors tour and you know, and Leonard Skinner before the plane crash and Doobie Brothers, we got to be great friends with the Doobie Brothers, which not to jump the gun, but that's where the concept for this new album, Friends and Family, came from was how many people Firefall got to play with on the road or in bands. We're really proud of this new record. Well, you did mention the Doobie Brothers. So how did you choose uh, Long Train
0: Running for this? This is the first cut. Play it on. Boom. Long Train Running. That was
1: hard. Yeah. And. Let me give you an example. When Lynn, our manager slash record label, heard that we had toured with the band on their last tour, Lee Von Helm and Robbie Robertson and everybody, he said, Oh, that's great. You can do up on Cripple Creek. And I went no friggin' way. <laughs> you know, Lee Helm is the only guy that should sing that song. <laughs> you know? You have to pick the songs carefully. Oh yeah. I didn't know which heart song to pick, and I didn't know which Doobie Brothers song to pick. Because we got to know the doobies really well after the Michael McDonald Doobie Brothers of the 70s. The other thing they'll say before I directly answer your question is some of those songs we cut just like the original. Like Dan Fogelberg part of the plan. But it doesn't sound like Dan's version because it's a different singer, it's different guitars, it's this, it's that. But when it came time to play the solo on part of the plan, I thought, I'm going to just learn Dan's solo. That's what people expect, and it was great. We have songs like that on the record that are similar in arrangement and stuff to the original, although they don't really sound like the original totally. And then there's songs like the Doobie Brothers song, which we took some liberties with. Somebody suggested at one point, hey, you can do, listen to the music. And I went, no, no, no. That's their signature song. And that guitar lick is like, no, no, no. You know, and we were, we had it down to three or four. And when Long Train Running kept being suggested to me as the guy with the final vote, I kind of really listened to that. And Tommy Johnson's original, that's the classic Doobie Brother thing. In the back of my mind, I knew that no matter which song we p- picked, probably thousands of Doobie Brothers fans are going to be pissed off. How dare they play my favorite song? You know, that kind of deal. But when I listened to the original version, there's a second guitar part that isn't as prominent as the first one that Tommy Johnson plays. And I kind of went, well, that's a cool part. And I made that second guitar part be the feature of our song. And I brought in the signature number one part on the Doobie song. It's in there and it plays a big role, but it's a little lessened. And I wanted to feature that other thing. And I really thought maybe that could be a guitar sax line to start the song. And we just started going with it. We put it in a different key because if it would have been in the same key, it would have sounded more like the original. So we put it down. John basaha our new lead vocalist, said, oh, yeah, I, that's perfect, key.
2: Down around the corner, half a mile from here. You see them all chase running, and you watch them disappear without love. Where would you be?
1: I did not know if my production experimentation on Firefall's version of that was up to snuff or not. And then when people started telling me, including our manager, that's great. That's great. I love it. In fact, Lynn said that's got to start the record and that's the first single. Mm -hmm. And I went, you're kidding me. (laughs) He says, no, no, no. And he's looking at Spotify, of course, which I know nothing about being a seventies guy. (laughs) Spotify, the biggest song that got the biggest numbers out of all those songs that we picked long train running has the biggest numbers. And he's saying, we're putting that out first. And I went, well, if you really think so. And I mean, I really like our version and it's different and my guitar solo on that, whenever I played these songs and I was playing a guitar solo played by toy Caldwell of Marshall Tucker, who I got to know Randy, California on spirit. Who I got to know, I never really got to know the Leonard Skinner guitar players, but they were the badass pickers, you know, of that whole era. So I wanted to really pay homage to the kind of the style that they played. Other than the Dan Fogelberg song, and uh, I got a line on you by Spirit. I just played my own solos, but I boy, I, the Toy Caldwell stuff. I was playing for Toy. It was great on the Doobie Brothers song. You know, they got great guitar players, and I I love Pat Simmons. He's been a friend of mine for forty years who knows what they will think of our version. I knew that every one of these versions that we made of different songs, we had to make as good as we could and keep it simple and let the songs speak and the singers speak and not add a lot of other production stuff and keep it pretty simple because what this album is doing is honoring those bands and those writers and singers and honoring the 60s and 70s that Firefall played a small role in back in the 70s. I mean, God, for us to be able to tour with as many people as I've just named, it was was incredible. Unbelievable. So
3: we should say the name of the album is called Friends and Family. And I really like the concept of Friends and Family because I think I read a quote from you. You said that they're friends, they're bands that you toured with, but also family in that the Firefall band members that actually played with some of the bands of the songs that you covered. So it is right. literally
1: Friends and Family. And uh, yeah, I got a scoop for you. The idea is so great that we're going to do a Friends and Family 2. And we're picking songs and recording now, even before this album came out. It was funny how it happened because Lynn said, Doobie Brothers song, Long Train Running, that's the first single and it starts the record. You know, as an artist, you make the best record you can and you turn it into the label. And after that, it's like they got control of everything. We don't like that picture Send us a new picture. And Lynn, it was going to be the first single. And then about... A month or two in, he changed his mind and said, no, we're going to release Simple Man by Leonard Skinner, your version of it, that John Bissaha sings great. And I really like my guitar solos on that song. And we're going to put that out first, and we'll put the Doobie Brothers song out second, right before the album gets released. And I said to Lynn, well, okay, that's great, but Simple Man is like six and a half minutes long that's not going to get any radio play. And he says, this isn't about radio. This is about Spotify and Amazon and downloads. I went, okay, I'm the guitar player.
0: singer who's replicating Firefall songs how do you choose a lead singer is it someone who sounds exactly like someone from the 70s or someone who's who brings his own style to, to Firefall does that mix up the chemistry
1: how do you choose a
0: lead singer when you you need one
1: when mark andy's retired 2 months before this album and frankly this album was kind of a lot about mark because yeah. he played with Dan Folgerberg and he played with Hardin, but he got sick of touring and said i'm done i'm retiring And David Musar, sax flute keyboard player, he died about a year and a half ago from his fourth bout with cancer. And Jim Waddell, who's the guy now, the sax flute player now, is really great and has been available. And it's been really lucky about how this kind of new batch of guys, I mean, Sandy's been drummer with us for 30 years. I've been in the band since 74. Steve Weinmeister is a great singer. As leader of the band and the guy, when somebody quits or when I fire somebody and I have to replace a lead singer, I gave up a long time ago having the guy have to sound like Rick Roberts. Rick has a pretty unique voice. And unfortunately, he can't sing like that anymore. He's got health issues and really can't perform. And I really tried to find somebody that sounded like Rick in the 80s and all that. And I realized that if you've got a really good, really great lead vocalist, and even if he doesn't sound like Rick Roberts, he's going to be a good enough vocalist to sell those songs to the people listening. And so if you sound like the record offstage for people who are spending a lot of bucks to come hear you play, that's going to be okay. When John Bisaha became available and I met him, And he's a good bass player, but he is a world-class singer. One of the things that John Bissaha did, he was for 10 years in the touring theatrical play of Jesus Christ Superstar, and he was Jesus Christ. And he sang all those, he's a great vocalist, world-class. And I mean, Firefall's always had good vocalists. And particularly Rick and Larry, who wrote their songs that were so great on our first three albums, That stuff is great, but I have never had a guy in Firefall that was like an L.A., you know, rock singer. Man, for instance, when we were trying to pick the Heart song or the Fleetwood Mac song, you know, with girls in the band, he said, no problem. And if you're a good enough singer, you can sell it. So that's my answer. And the blend we've got now with Steven and John, yeah, I'm the third singer, and I allowed myself to sing three songs on this album but when we were cutting background vocals, I would just put them out there and trade parts and double that and triple that. And, hey, let's make it sound great.
3: That wow. makes What About Love sound like a, a more obvious choice now, because I wouldn't have thought that that would have been <laughs> the choice of heart songs.
1: Right. And the interesting thing was, is I'm good friends with Howard Leese, the original guitar player, keyboard player in heart, member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And for the last 10 years, he's been with Free and Bad Company, Paul, Paul Rogers. Rogers, one of the best singers ever. So I asked Howard if he wanted to play the solo on What About Love, play some power guitars in the solo. And he said, that's great. Sure, thanks. And I sent him our version of that, which we deliberately tried to make as we were recording it. It really started sounded like very reminiscent of Strange Way from 1978. So we played that up with the flute and the bum, 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 the bass part and all of that. So Howard got back to me from L.A. and said, well, you kind of changed the chords in the chorus, so I can't play the same solo that I did on the original. I went, I don't want you to play the same solo that you did on the original. This is a new version. Play something else. And he played a great solo. I ended up learning his solo verbatim and playing it with my sound and made a a second track of Howard playing with a different amp sound and we made three guitars sound like one huge one but that's Howard's solo and choice of notes and it felt great to have some guest stars on this record, like John Jorgensen from Desert Rose Band and Elton John's Band, one of the best guitar players on the planet. He played on our "Bird Song." and Tristan Bowden, the drummer, played on uh, uh, Simple Man from Chicago and the Kenny Loggins Band. So it's been really fun, and we're excited about Continue It Going because We scratched the surface really nicely with these 13 songs, but we left out some songs, and there's a lot more on the board, and we're cutting a few more, and some people might go, Firefall's playing cover songs? It's like, no, look at it this way. We're honoring the 70s and those bands that had those great songs.
3: I love it. So how much will these songs factor into your upcoming live shows?
1: Now, that's a good question. The problem is, (laughs) for like 20 years, I've known which seven or eight songs we have to play live because people pay money to come in here. You are the woman or strange where Cinderella or Mexico, or it doesn't matter or whatever it might be. We do a lot of package work now with three or four bands. And when you're with four bands on a bill, like it might be Atlanta rhythm section, Orleans, Firefall, Pure Prairie league or Ario Speedwagon, Firefall and Pablo Cruz. The band's usually given about 45 minutes to play. Now, when we headline a show, we'll play 90 minutes or 75 or two two one-hour sets. So I know that we need to include a couple of these cover songs from friends and family in our set. And I've been thinking, well, you know, if we started off with like the Doobie Brothers song, which is going to be our second single as the first encore song, that would go over great. So we're kind of toying with that and finding out which one's to add and it has to be a balance i mean if we only have 60 minutes to play and people really want to hear those original firefall songs we may only have room for three or four of these songs a
3: tough choice <laughs> it is a <laughs> tough
1: choice it has been suggested well let's make a medley let's do the first two verses in a chorus of one song and go right into another song now and to me i've kind of always hated medleys like that mm-hmm. it's like You just get the people going on, and then you change it just to add songs. So I'm not sure if we know what we're gonna do yet once the full album's out. I know we're gonna play uh, Long Train Running." I'm pretty sure we're gonna play the Fogelberg song, Part of the Plan. And one song that I really like, which we probably won't play live, is uh, Loggins and Messina's Angry Eyes. That one was so like Firefalls without even having to do anything, (laughs) you know.
2: I've seen you staring at me Now then and again I wonder what it is that you see With those angry eyes Well I bet you wish you could cut me down With those angry eyes trying to do with those
1: angry eyes
2: well i bet you wish you could cut me down with those angry eyes
1: in fact what's pretty cool i've, I've heard about uh some gigs in florida in 2024 which it's going to be don felder the eagles firefall and jim messina and it's like oh that's a cool bill yeah.
0: so you played in the 70s was that Loggins and Messini opened up for them or was it like their
1: last tour? Okay. Yeah. And then by 77, Kenny had gone out on his own and was starting to have huge Kenny Loggins hits. And we used to open for Kenny Loggins all the time with Tris and George as their rhythm section, Triss and Bowden and George Hawkins. So actually we're trying to decide which Kenny Loggins song to put on volume two, because what great songs. And again, it's all about respect and love and really trying to do right by not only the the people who made that music, but the fans who listen to it and love those songs. Because there's never going to be another 60s, 70s for music. So I've been so lucky and fortunate and being at the right place at the right time a few times and having the licks to be hired and be a good player. I really do think that in the past records we've made, my guitar parts, which are all really right-brain, non-thinking kind of things, I don't figure them out. I just like him in the moment, play them. That was a big part of Firefall sound, just like David's flute and sax was. And that's kind of the thing that I would like to say about this album. We didn't have any preconceptions about what a song had to sound like or what would. So I'm a painter, and it's kind of like being in front of a blank canvas, and then you start and you go, "Oh, I like that." Oh. And it and it's a spontaneous creation until you get to the point of that's enough, no more, you know, and that's kind of what a producer does. But I just wanted to stay true to the original bands and kept thinking about those original bands, the doobies, the band, you know, uh, Dan Fogelberg, that their fans from before will like our songs and see that these were done with uh, respect and love, but you never know what it's going to turn out with like until you, start getting there and going, Ooh, I like this. Or we don't need that anymore. And you take it out. Some of the best gigs I ever got to be in were you'd have to say Fleetwood back rumors, tops 75, Mm 80,000 people gig in in a day in a stadium. But the band is maybe my favorite gigs and to watch, watch them do what they did and create that, great Americana music. Oh my God. It's just so heartfelt and funky. And I have a section of course on, on the liner notes on our album where I named a bunch of people no longer with us, Christine McVie, David Crosby, all kinds of people and Robbie Robertson hadn't died yet when when we went to press with this album but I mean the songs he wrote and the songs they wrote, I know they had big problems in the band when Robbie made most of the money and the other guys are going, what the heck but I'll tell you what, the music they made on stage is incomparable, and I look back and that's got to be one of the biggest highlights of my career, to be able to sit and watch the band play 12 or 15 gigs.
2: I know she's a tracker And it's back Woodbacker They say she's a chooser But I just can't refuse her was just there but then she can't
0: find it interesting that that as a guitarist, you were obsessed with Levon Helm. Like that's that's the guy you were watching. You <laughs> well,
1: were. I mean, I was also kind of obsessed with Rick Danko. I wasn't so floored with Robbie as a guitar player just because he had his own style and it was funky. And you know, I was more of that you know Clapton Santana kind of style of playing. But the five of them together playing those songs, many of which Robbie had written, unbelievable. And they put not only American music, but world music on its head when that first album came out. It was just so great to be able to see them play every night. I mean, there's big bands now, and there were big bands in the 90s or 2015s and stuff. But I'll tell you what, that music of the 70s, where one of the keys I think was, guys, is that Record labels let you kind of do what you did, and they didn't have a stranglehold on what material was picked or the presentation, or they let the bands pretty much play what they wanted to play. And that was all, all over the world, too, and America set the standard. You know, the Eagles and Fogelberg, and and then Australia, the Little River Band, and all these great bands. Little Feet was one of my favorite American bands. Oh. Steely Dan. Unbelievable. <laughs> and a lot of people thought that they were just pop music. And it's like, no, no, no. They're serious jazz kind of stuff. Put in a pop music thing. And it's like totally original American. So that's stuff of the 70s. I don't think will be around again.
3: Okay. You mentioned the Eagles just now in passing. And I just recently saw that Timothy B. Schmidt sang Backup on Just Remember I Love You.
1: Yeah, when he was in Poco.
2: When it all goes crazy and the thrill is gone The days get rainy and the nights get long When you get that feeling you were born to lose Staring at your ceiling, thinking of your There's so much trouble that you wanna cry. The world has crumbled and you don't know why. When your hopes are fading and they can't be found, the dreams have let you waiting. The friends have let you down. Just remember, I love you, and it'll be all
1: Eagles were the only band that well, maybe the only band that we never really opened for in the 70s. And it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, the Eagles were in the big leagues, you know, and Firefall had a similar sound, but we were in the minor leagues, no threat to the Eagles at all. But, you know, why would they have us open a show for them? We got to play with everybody from Leonard Skinner to Chicago to Roy Buchanan to Fleetwood Mac during the Rumors Tour. Uh, you know, the Eagles are the top of the heap in our brand of music, in that kind of what turned into be country rock, but they took it way past country rock. I mean Hotel California's got to be one of the best albums ever made. And yeah, Timothy B. Schmidt sang a lot of the background vocals on Just Remember I Love You, and it was really great to have him on it.
3: Now, of course, I can hear it. Yeah, right. I didn't think about it at the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, on the end of the song where all the "Well, I love you." That's that's a lot that's pretty much Timmy. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you produce
1: this album? I am. Okay, very nice. Okay. I am. <laughs> <gasps> and you know what? A lot of people don't know what producers do and there's dictatorial producers playing this, play that, you know, all this kind of stuff really. And I've had a hand at producing Firefall albums from the get go, even though I wasn't really the producer. I always was there in the studio and when Tom Dowd was the producer, I kind of watched everything he did and everything. What a producer does mostly is listen well. And when you are putting new parts on a song that hasn't been recorded before, you know, you go, oh yeah, that's, that's great. Or, you know, can you play a little bit less? Or you just, as a, as a producer, as you build up the tracks and you're getting toward completion, you go, wow, this song needs an organ in the chorus, or I need tambourine playing double time in the chorus because it's kind of the groove isn't alive and happening. And you just have ideas and you listen good until you get to that point, like I said, where you go, that's it. Nothing more. You're a painter.
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it it is another art form for sure.
1: Yep. And uh, music is really visual to me. When I'm playing solos, it's really great. And you're taking your listener on a journey and the journey needs to go somewhere and come back. And it needs to have, a high point or many high points or some low points or a lot of space in it. Like I said earlier, you know, spaces speak sometimes more than anything you can play, not playing. And uh, yeah, making records is probably about the most fun thing I I get to do and play guitar on stage and and be (laughs) live and pretend I'm 21 years old anymore. But, but making records where you're making something out of nothing is just great fun. And it has great responsibility too, but it's cool. You know, back to Firefall and and this new record, I'm just so excited to, you know, playing songs from the 60s and 70s and we're going to make one more record. And, you know, it's really exciting in Firefall land right now. Music's the universal language and it's amazing how much music means to so many people and particularly the music of the 70s, late 60s and early 70s. Wow.
0: We agree. We didn't even talk about strange way. Was it Rick who wrote it? Oh yeah.
1: Okay. It was Tom Dowd who thought of on the end when we were recording that. He said Tom Dowd said, "How about if we speed up on the last chorus and go into maybe a latin kind of groove and end off on a high note?" And we all went, "Wow. Great," you know, and 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 Mark kind of came up with boom 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 boom, you know, but it was funny because Michael Clark who you know, the king of 404 on, on drums. And sometimes, you know, when he was out on the road doing, not getting enough sleep or doing what he did on the road, he'd speed up or slow down or anything. But when he had to speed up on that, okay, here we go. Now, you know, Michael couldn't speed up. And it took us a long time to go into the deal. But what a brilliant idea by Tom Dowd to have the flute solo and then go back to the chorus. the best records I think we've we ever made and very commercial. I do know that Rick told me, because Rick was a great writer, great singer, and tapped into whatever he was thinking of. Now a lot of the songs he wrote, he was thinking, I want to get 18 to 24 year old girls to call a radio station. So you know that's where Just Remember I love you or, you know, You Are the Woman came from. But strange way, he told me that a girl that he was thinking about dating wrote him a letter, and said at some point in the letter, that's a strange way to tell me you love me. And he went, wow. And he immediately then took Strange Way and wrote a song out of it. I'll tell you what, that gets the biggest standing ovation every night, the flute solo on the end of Strange Way. And that's definitely one of my favorite songs that we play. For sure.
3: I can't wait to hear the next one. I've been listening to this one nonstop leading up to this, and I can't wait to hear part two.
1: Cool. I, I can't wait to finish it. Like <laughs> I said earlier, as a producer, I wanted to keep the production pretty sparse and let the vocals and the song really shine through. But I'll tell you what, the music of the 70s and that production of the 70s, you know, is is really great. And, you know, I know how to make good Firefall records and putting them to these songs... Was really a joy, definitely a joy.
3: They're great choices, ultimately. I think. Well, thank you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Love it. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you uh, on the scoop on number two. You know, it's just great still being active and and making music that uh, I get to do interviews for. Yeah,
0: I agree. I am shocked that someone actually retired. No one retired. No musicians ever retire. That's this is what they do, right? This is what you're going to do forever. I'm not going to retire until I can't play anymore. Right, exactly. Uh, And then maybe then I'll play slide. Hey, I can do that. Glad
1: you're keeping this music alive. Well, thank you. And I appreciate uh, the time. And we'll do another one of these when you get volume two. For sure. Guys, it's been very nice talking to you.
3: Thank you. Thank Thank you for spending so much time with us.
0: All
1: right. Take care. My pleasure.
0: Did you enjoy the talk with Jock Bartley of Firefall?
3: Yes. He was great. He is so interesting and engaging, and he has such great stories about everyone. And I could have learned a lot more. And I'm glad that he said that he will talk to us when he releases part two, friends and family. He'll have even more stories to tell. So yeah, that was a total treat.
0: It's very incestuous. This uh, this Laurel Canyon scene and the music scene. Everyone's uh, I don't know. I hope they all took tests back
2: then and just kind of. <laughs>
3: I'm no one's sure worried all, about no. such things. But learning about Boulder was pretty fun too. I didn't really get the Boulder scene, but now I understand a little bit more about the Rocky
0: Mountain Way. Thank you, Joe Walsh. Great talking to, to someone who's embedded in that scene and can still weave a good story. That's all we ask for. Just come on the show, tell a good story and then get off the stage. And that's what he does. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you to Wendy Brentford-Jones of Hello Wendy PR. She brought us jock. So thank you very much for her friendship. Appreciate that.
3: And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for their
0: never-ending support. We talked a long time with Jock and some of this stuff will be snipped up and edited out and made to sound pretty. And then Holly scoops up that, uh, that ugliness and puts it on YouTube. Isn't that right?
3: So you can see all the ugliness on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make Podcast and on our social media at WDDIM Podcast. So check out some outtakes.
0: Yeah, I gotta remember to comb my hair because I, I see myself up there. I'm like, oh, I need to do something. To sh- Your hair looks great, hipster. All right, I need to shimmy it up or something. You could uh, subscribe to our newsletter, com. You can see all our previous episodes and then uh, subscribe to our monthly newsletter and subscribe to the podcast because new episodes every Friday. I don't know how much higher I can get. <laughs> I'm going into Seinfeld territory.
3: <laughs> and why wouldn't you want to? Listen to the podcast every Friday. I mean, not, you know, go as high as Seinfeld.
0: Please subscribe, please like, please review. We're trying to be as polite as possible.
3: Please and thank you.
0: Well, until next week, this is Dave. This is
4: Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football